At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Good morning. Well, it's great to be here today. Isn't that isn't a beautiful day out? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, I have to admit, I lived in northern Michigan for 25 years, so you know, this almost feels like home today, watching the little, we would have lake effect, like this is a gorgeous day, but it is a little nippy, but it's 12 degrees warmer than it was last morning, so there is that, right? It's all the way up to 13 degrees, I think. Uh, but I also want to get this out of the way. You like my shoes? Pastor Jacob and Nick have been, you know, they've been, they're all styling, I thought, my wife approved of them, so I like them, and I just want to let you know that, that they're brand new, got them for my birthday, you know, all that good stuff. I really appreciate it. Uh, when, were, when was the last time that you, or how old, and let me ask you this way, up here we have some vending machines. Do any of you remember those vending machines? All right, good. I got, I was thinking I'm going to be the only one. That one on the, yeah, that one. I remember that. It used to be a go, it's got 15, 20, 25 cents. You used to be able to go and grab a, put a quarter in there, grab a hole of that pulley and pull it out and down would drop your, your coin, your uh, heresy bar. Or you put 10 cents, how would you like to have a 10 cent Dr. Pepper? You put 10 cents in there, you open that door, and on many times I tried to figure out how to get out two at the same time. It never worked, but you could pull one out, and, you know, you had, your, you had your drink. Well, they have changed so much over time. Now we have, look at this one. I didn't know they have a lobster vending machine. Yeah, it's for real. They got this claw thing that comes down, and you grab a, a lobster, and I don't know if you can read that. It says, you, I'm supposed to stay, am I staying? <laughs> I have to stay within a certain spot or they lose me. Uh, you can catch them. If you catch them, we cook them. You know, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure I'm into that one as much. Uh, but the one on the, on the right, I'm really familiar with that. We have one of those just like that at my office. You know, and it's, got, it's like a robotic thing. It, it, there's a, an arm that slides across there. You press your little button in. There's an arm that slides across there and goes the right spot. You know, the, you know what I'm talking about. And they go down, they go into that little little cubby. It come, I know, I'm easily amused, but I like to watch that thing. <laughs> but one of the greatest things that happened in vending machines is the introduction of that dollar slot, the dollar bill slot. You know, because you know, I would forever go to my office vending machine in there and, and I'd be like, oh, I don't have enough quarters. You know, run down in, got to search through your car and see if you've got any extra quarters so you can get your, your bottle of drink. Now you can put a dollar bill in there, just stick that thing in, and you put it in, and, and out pops your, or a couple of these probably, and out pops your drink, unless, of course, it rejects your dollar bill. You put it in, it spits it back out, and you look at it and say, what? You know, come on. So you, you 
make sure George's face is the right direction because it's got that little thing up there. You put it in, and if it spits it back out again, you go, man, then you do what you saw some other guy do, and you, you know, rub it that way. Make sure all of the different corners are not curled up, and you try it again. And if it spits it out again, you say, oh, come on now. And you're about ready to take the machine on, you know, because I want my drink. Just give me the drink and let me go. What's wrong with this dollar bill? Isn't it as good as one that just came off the mint? It's worth the same amount. It doesn't matter if it's been folded and, and wadded and, and maybe taped a little bit. It's still worth a dollar. Why will that not that machine accept it? Doggone machine. But you know what? We are way too much like the vending machine, if we, if we really admit it. We, like, we tend to be more accepting of people who have it all together. People who, who are less than perfect. You know, we, we really don't necessarily want to be a part of them. You know, we want people that aren't worn, worn out. We don't want them. People are crumpled, are folded, or maybe even taped together. We want the, the beautiful people, right? In the New Testament here, that's what James is talking about. He wrote to Christians, and he was shuddered at the fact that they were showing partiality to others. Imagine the scene of two people in the, he, he tell, he's talking about a scene of two people coming into the church, one of them wearing fine clothing and the other not so fine. You know, one, the fine clothing guy had to have my, sh my shoes on, I'm sure. Uh, the one in mint condition came in. He was directed right down to the preferred seat. You know, you sit here right by me. The other not so fine person got stuck in the cheap seats. Cheap seats. And you know, that's um, that kind of vision that our Lord Jesus spoke to James in, and he gave James the words to tell us that living by faith requires seeing through the shell to the soul. In living by faith, that's, we're, we're in our living, um, living faith series, and we're going, we're going through the, sec, first, uh, the second, yeah, the first two chapters of James, and we're looking at, at the dynamics of living the mature faith and what that looks like. Last week, we saw how mature faith puts possessions in their rightful place. Earthly and eternal wealth are major themes throughout the entire book. And he was writing to a group of refugees who probably at one time were, were rich. But now, because they've been displaced, are poor. James comes back to this subject of wealth today. But he looks at it from a slightly different angle, as we will learn. As I said, the big idea is mature faith sees the soul through the shell. If you have your Bibles or you have your device, 
you know, we're going to, Pastor Jacob's already read it for us, but we're going to be referring back to the specific verses. So keep it handy and, if, and make sure you have enough battery life to make that happen. Uh, and you'll see what I mean when I say that mature faith sees through the shell to the soul. Following, in, in, right in James 1, it says, Brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. When he uses that word partiality, that is forbidding his, his congregation to show partiality. The word is, is much more, it, it's just a great word he uses because it says literally receiving someone according to the face, according to the external appearance. That's the word. So don't show partiality. Don't look at them just on the outside when you bring them into, the, into your fellowship. And he starts, he uses this, this story here as a vivid picture of what that's like. But that picture sometimes fades a little bit when we lose, you know, it's, that's been 2,000 years and things have changed in their perspective of how we think of things or the words we say. For instance, do you remember back when bad really meant opposite of good? Do you remember that? Or how about bass? It's not a foundation or one of the, or a type of electric guitar. It's literally to be controversial, to be unpopular. And then there's spill the tea. You don't have to go get a rag to, to mop it up, but you better be telling me some juicy gossip. You know, spill the tea. Come on, give me some really juicy stuff. And then there's the word sick. Yeah, I'm still not really sure how that works, but you get the idea. Words don't mean the same, even a generation removed. Actually, I had to call up my good friend Caleb <laughs> to, to say, oh, you got some words that I can use because I, I have no clue. So he, he and, his, and his wife helped me out there and, and give me some of the, I, got, I came up with sick by myself because I heard that just the day before yesterday and so I thought I can do that one. Um, so those things happen and so we want to we bring us back to first century church, right? We want to we look into their culture when we see things that, and if we're going to do that and we and uh, we put this passage in, the, in uh, the context of an ancient assembly of believers. We need to first look at, at that. Imagine, you know, our modern worship service where you have all these beautiful light effects. You have worship team and, and you know, guitars and, of course, the really cool preacher every Sunday. Yeah, a couple of you got that. Okay, um, but that's not what it was like, my friends. It was, it was totally different than that. When, when the worship service happened of those displaced Jews, it probably need to put ourselves in a house mentally rather than in an auditorium. We need to paint the picture of a, a place that isn't built isn't purpose-built. It's not built for worship. And the seating arrangements are probably awkward, confusing, and cramped. You know, all these people piling into a little house 
in the first century church time. We find ourselves needing to get a better explanation in order to, to really understand what's going on here. The interaction between the ushers and the guests seems really broken as they obviously show partiality to people based on that, the, the, the external appearance. You, you heard me say, if we are looking at, an, at a, a worship service, but there's a new kind of, you know, as we, as we continue to study, there's a new, we're looking at a little new, a little different because it's probably not a normal worship service like we would believe it, would, it is. It's probably a really, it's, it's a, a religious court that we're dealing with. And when we look at that and paint that picture, we can just begin to see how this whole drama unfolds. Now, these kind of courts existed in the Roman world, uh, and so the faith community kind of took it into themselves as well. The best picture that we have about what those things were is probably the arbitration or mediation that we can get today. You know, arbitrators, to go through arbitration, you, you sign an agreement that you're going to go by whatever this arbitrator or mediator who is hopefully impartial will, will legislate, and then you're, you're bound legally by that decision. And, and that was kind of what these, are, these were like. As a matter of fact, uh, the early church took over the, the, what the synagogue practice. That was a practice of the synagogue in the Jewish community. Now the Christian community has kind of taken that over as well. And there are several points in favor of that, and I won't go into a lot of them, but there's a lot of judicial legalistic or legaliz or judicial language in here. And even the word of the word the, the synagogue, which is we pronounce synagogue, is used there. And that word is was more of a legal type of a thing rather than the word ecclesia that we most often see. Ecclesia was that ingathering, the thing that, that we're doing with our life groups where, where you get together and you fellowship and you, you serve with, with one another and, eat and serve each other. The word was much more of the legislative type. So as we look at that, imagine now these two strangers coming in to this setting in this house and they're probably new believers and they aren't really familiar with the system but they need someone to to um, legislate in favor of one or the other to mediate their dispute. And so the first one comes in, and James says here that he has, well, and the English Standard Version does a good job, but I'm going to help this out a little bit. It says that he had gold, um, gold fin or fingers, yeah, gold fingers. Where is it? I lost it. Anyway, he has rings, gold rings on his finger. And that's not really just saying a gold ring. What it is saying is dripping with gold. It says literally gold fingers. This guy wasn't just wearing a wedding band. He had multiple rings on each one of his fingers. And when it talks about his fine clothes, the word literally means luminescent, glowing, Sparkling, you know, my wife is a blingy type of person. So, you know, there's a lot of bling to it. 
And it's like those, those fish in the, deep in the sea, you know, they, they kind of glow on onto self. That's the kind of idea you're getting here. So here's this guy dripping with gold and glowing in clothes, and he's about to be judged. And he wants everyone under, to understand whom they're judging, you know. And he wants everyone to understand what he can do for them. And then comes the second guy. His clothes are unclean. That word really gives us the connotation of not just unclean, but it carries on the, the idea of defilement, of pollution. And it's even used sometimes in the Bible of sinfulness. So this guy comes in, and no one even wants to sit next to him because he is so badly dressed and probably effervescent. Let's just put it that way. And so he comes in. Now, all this takes place in the context of, of what the Roman world was doing at the time. I, I, uh, it was doing something called patron-client relationship. The patron-client relationship is wealthy patients or wealthy patrons would support poor clients. And in return, they expected the poor clients to honor the patrons in legal and and, and the political affairs. So, and it was a legally binding contract between two individuals. They, if you were a client of a patron, you always had to do his bidding, you know, in legal and political affairs at least. And this had been going on for over 600 years. So here's the, here's the concept. They're in the middle of this. In comes this, this patron. Obviously, he's wealthy enough a patron that comes in, and when he walks in, there's two possibilities that are going to be happening in this, this uh, judicial setting. Either the Christian judges are already among his, his clients, and so they are legally obligated to, to um, dis make a decision in his favor, or <laughs> they want to be one of his clients, and so are going to give him favor in order to get in return, his influence and protection. Not really a fair situation. And starting out, it is totally, the minds have already been made up. These Christian judges are seeing with eyes of the flesh. And so they're jumping right on this opportunity to be a part of the clientele of of this patron, and so they say, hey, sit right here, right? Let me, let's dust off the seat. I want you to sit right next to me, you know, so you're going to, we're buds, right? You know, I, I like to say I'm, I'm buds with Gary Hogaboom. No, nothing? <laughs> Well, he was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. And actually, I am friends with him. But when I drop his name, nobody ever knows. Now, I met Archie Griffin, the two-time Heisman Trophy winner. Not yet. Okay. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> Good job. I also met Roger Staubach. 
You got somebody who knows. Now, it's still dated, I know. If I would have said something like Dak Prescott, you go, oh, yeah. But I don't know him. I'd like to know him. He doesn't really care about me. Uh, and that's okay. But, you know, you, you like to drop names. Yeah, you know. But that is what is happening here. They want to be in his circle. So there's no chance for the other gentleman. No matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on, it's over. Here James is now earnestly pleading these, these readers of this letter to adopt two rules in how they handle or judge people they meet. First, he implores them to not, do not measure people by what they can give you. Do not measure people by what they can give you. James makes a very clear argument here. He says in verse 5 uh, that God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. You see how he changes that? Poor in the world to be rich in his kingdom. The poor to borrow the Roman language, are the clients of God. God has not only chosen the poor, he has also given them a glorious inheritance. They are his, and they are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. In what I do in my work world now, I am a financial advisor I've got a card here. No, no. Um, and if, you know, I get a lot of people who come in that all of a sudden have inherited some money, you know, and they, they want to know what to do with it. They're heirs of something, and it's a good thing. Well, these, all of us actually, but the poor here he talks about, are heirs of the kingdom of God. I've had the privilege to work with, with an organization called Life Remodeled for a number of years. Life Remodeled, I don't know if you know what it is. Anyone know what that is? Okay, good. A lot of you are good. Know what it is, but they're, they're an organization that, that on a one week, six days out of a year, thousands of people come into a neighborhood of Detroit and begin to board up old houses to clean out areas that could be dangerous for kids, to make a, a safe path for all the kids to go to school, to repair houses. They do all of this stuff, and, and there are hundreds of mowers running all, along the way. And I've had the privilege of being um, security. Yeah, yeah, you're going, you? You're right. It, it's not really a good thing. Or not really. My job is to drive around into, in a car with little le yellow lights on and, and then get out and, and meet people. And if there's a problem, I press a button. And, and there are three officers in different vehicles who will be there in moments. I've never had to use that. So don't, don't uh, but it, it is kind of nice to have it there, and it gives me the opportunity to get out into the community and not have to mow lawn. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of fun. And so I meet people, and these people don't have a lot. These people don't have much of anything. But they come out, and they give me hugs. And they thank me, thank me, thank me, thank me, thank me. And I, I have to remind them I'm not really doing it. We've got... You know, thousands of people doing it. And many times I'm talking to believers. And those believers say, 
you know, I am so, I knew God was, would help us out and thank you and praise you and all. The, they understand one thing that many of us who have much more than we need don't understand. They are desperate for God. And in their desperation, they know they don't have a lot of options, but they have God. And they know that he will feed them, that he will make things work out. And they're the heirs of the kingdom along with us. Now, I'm not trying to demonize the rich or to glorify the poor. Don't get me wrong there. But we need to understand that there is, a, there is a level playing field in God's view. He is not impressed. Following this, his theological reason of here, you know, God, heirs of the kingdom, he uses, or for us to see past the shell into the soul, he uses a, a really practical reason why you should not be showing partiality in this way. Look at verse 6. I, I love it. It puts it right there. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of, by which you were called? Think about it, guys, he's saying. You're trying to buddy up to the people who are going to drag you into court at the first opportunity. Why are you doing that? Now let's assume, you know, we're back in, we're in that court setting and, and they're siding with the very class of people which are persecuting them. How many people make, think that really makes sense? And even more than that, they are making the church a tool of persecution. The ancient... Uh, system, legal system, always tilted against the poor. They couldn't afford to be the patrons because they were too poor. And they had too little to offer the patrons to become their clients. And so the, the rich decided, whenever they decided to oppress the poor in any legal setting, it was not justice. It was the old adage, might makes, makes right. See, the gospel always stands in opposition of injustice. The gospel puts us on a level playing field. Whether you drove here in a Bugatti or you had to borrow a fare to get to the bus to get here, to take a bus to get here, you are in the same level because we are all sinners saved by grace. Amen? You know, you can do that anytime you want to. I'll accept that, all right? Because this is good stuff here. The, the point is not, as I said, to demonize anything or to, or to glorify. The next time you feel you ought to dismiss someone because they have nothing to offer you, pause. Remind yourself that Jesus offered you his life when you had nothing to give him. The next time you feel the rush, feel inclined to rush to judgment, slow down and judge yourself by God's perfect standards. 
See people with the eyes of faith. See the soul through the shell. The second thing is measure people by God's standards. The second aspect here is, is probably the most extensive argument against favoritism and partiality, and that's beginning in verse 8. James brings out the prohibition to what he calls the royal law or the law of liberty. Calling the loyal law, royal law means it supersedes all other laws. We have a constitution and we have a bill of rights and we are firmly protected under them, but they never should supersede God's word. Never supersede the will of the Lord. The law of liberty, the what's so-called law of liberty, the, ought to draw our minds back to the first chapter, in chapter 1, verse 25, where he defined it as, where we were defining it, that it mature is the man who does not hear and forget, but practices what he hears. We, we fulfill this law by faith in just two phrases that Jesus quoted and then James quotes him and they're right up here very simple love your neighbor as yourself okay um, no I'm just not, no, it's not that it's not even that it's love God and love your neighbor there it is love God and love your neighbor Jesus argue or James argues that the fulfillment of the commandment is to love our neighbors and by doing that, we refuse partiality. Mature faith always sees through the shell to the soul because the true law that supersedes all law is the, the law that is given by the lawgiver, God. The different, this is a different way to think about all of this. And I, I want to give you just like a practical example here of a student in school. Now normally, a student has two people, two authorities, at least two authorities speaking into them of how they should behave, the parents and the school, right? Now normally in most situations, these authorities will, will affirm each other. The parents tell the kids, obey and listen to your teachers. And the teachers or the school gives the, is empowering the kids to be raised up, empowering the parents to be raised up the kids well. However, there are points in time when the parents and the teachers don't agree. So what's the, so what's the student supposed to do? It's not an easy answer, but the answer in my, in, in my opinion, is to probably to consider the character and love of the person giving the instruction. By that I mean that if the parents are the ones who love them, the ones who seek to raise them to maturity, the ones God has chosen to raise these, those students, then the students should follow their parents even if doing so 
puts them at odds with the school. Kids, that does not give you league, give you right to say no to your, your, your teachers, okay? Not doing that. But it does tell us that the one who loves us and cares for us and wants the best for us is the one we should trust, right? If the God who loves, created, and knows us makes a judgment about us, we should surely trust his judgment, right? This is why we show no partiality. By his law, we, he has judged us as sinners, right? By his mercy, he has taken our punishment. By his grace, he has adopted us. Does that make sense? We need to understand that he loved us, and if he, lo he loves us, and if he loves us, Will he not lead us? Sometimes trusting God might put us adults in conflict with competing authorities. You might feel like you're an outsider to your peers if you're following after the law of God. You might find yourself unable to obey, to obey your boss, not giving you license to do that. But, you, you know, if they're conflicting with, with God's law, you might have to do that. You might find yourself even unable to participate in, asset, in aspects of, of the community you live in. Gra granted and gratefully, those are, are very, very rare moments. But when they come, will you only have the courage to do what's right and to see and use the law or the God behind the law. You know, the royal law and the conventions of our culture will always be at odd because we're a unique community. We are a new, unique community because we see the world uniquely. We, have, we walk in the world, but we, our hearts are in heaven. And if we keep our hearts in heaven, then mercy will always triumph over judgment. Do you remember I talked about the vending machines at the beginning? I, uh, I have this dollar bill up here. Can you get that up there? Thank you. This dollar bill would never be accepted in my vending machine at work. Now, Grant, I honestly have not tried it because I, you know, just with my luck, I'd suck it in and keep it. But that dollar is unique. Does anybody know how? If you, I, I talked to a couple people who don't answer. Anybody see that? It's a silver certificate. And somebody go, what? What is that? that? That was in the back of the day. It was money that was, was printed that was backed by silver and not gold. It, it was totally different. And I won't go into the history of that because I got 25 seconds. But... It was, that would never be accepted because it's, it's, it's wrinkled over there. It's a little faded. You know, you can hardly see George there somehow. But the intrinsic value of that, those two words, silver certificate, changes to be much more than a dollar. I'm not going to show you this. I'm not going to let you handle this because, you know, I kind of like that fact. I actually got that when I was working 
in a bank and it came through in the deposit. I, I noticed it was different. It's got that one, the word one up there and the silver certificate that's, that's up. I didn't see the silver certificate right away. I'm going, wait a minute, I got to check out it is. Is this authentic? And then I saw that. And I traded my, a dollar in my pocket for that. I got no permission. I didn't get in trouble for that. Um, and I've kept it safe and secure ever, ever since. You have no idea, we have no idea how many, it's, it's dated 1957, so it's been around a while. How many people that has been passed from person to person and nobody noticed it was a silver certificate? When we go into the world, friends, know that we are not to judge people by their, their wealth, by their zip code, by the color of their hair, or the color of their skin. We are all sinners saved by grace. And we are going to exemplify Christ when we do that. Know that, not discriminate, and understand we are all on a, leap, on a, on a level playing field. My friends, the church needs to be the leader in showing people that we are not prejudiced. That we do not show preferential treatment. My friends, the church needs to be the church. I have been toying with how <laughs> I have so much more to say. Uh, and I want you to know that I am excited to be a part of Woodside because Woodside is on the cutting edge of trying to change the world through seeing people without prejudice. Will you join me with that? Will you covenant today with me to slow down when you see someone, to not make that initial judgment call based on the fact that they're wearing Michigan State stuff or whatever. Do not do that. My friends, covenant with me, okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. You've given us such a, a heavy message today, but a message we need to hear. Not only do we need to hear, we need to practice and live out what we hear, Lord. May we not judge people by their resources. May we not judge people by their zip code, their appearance, the color of their, their hair, or the color of their skin. We love you, Lord. We serve you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.